0: Hear the word of the Lord. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers came up and also mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There is a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be thanks to, God. Thanks to God. You may be seated
1: we are going to get into our last message at least for a while on the gospel of luke we are nearing the end of luke as we've been here since uh around the second or third sunday of june so it's been quite a marathon we've been traveling uh, with jesus and his disciples as they uh, go through life and jesus teaches in various uh, places and uh, interacts with a variety of different people. Uh, and before we get there, though, I wanted to take a moment and mention um, that if you didn't know, this week is a Thanksgiving week. And I say if you didn't know because I had a conversation with someone yesterday who did not know that this coming week was Thanksgiving. Uh, we made an arrangement a while back for the guy who helped train our new dog that while we were gone away this week that he would keep our dog for us and work with him a little bit while we're gone. And uh, I called him Friday to confirm when we were going to meet and where we were going to meet uh, in order to, for him to get the dog. And uh, he said at the end of our conversation he said so just give me a call wednesday or thursday and we'll decide when we pick them up and i said well this week is thanksgiving week and i need you to take him tomorrow and he said tomorrow no it's not thanksgiving week And i said yeah it's thanksgiving week and then i heard the voice of reason and it uh, was his wife in the background saying george This is Thanksgiving week. You go get that dog tomorrow. So I felt good that there is uh, somebody else who has to have uh, their better half keep them straight when they get a little bit off track. Uh, But this is Thanksgiving week, and Thanksgiving week brings with it uh, for our family our annual pilgrimage to Big Bend, and we are getting ready sometime this afternoon to head that direction, and so uh, around noon-ish tomorrow, we will enter the land that was before cell phones and remains untouched by cell phone service, so if you need something this week and I'm not responding to you, it's not because I'm mad at you or because I don't like you anymore, because I don't have the capability to, unless you have sent a carrier pigeon uh, or smoke signal. Then I can maybe get wind that way. But if you need anything, Jeremy's going to be around, I think, for most of the week. So uh, he is capable to take care of uh, whatever you have for him. And if anything is going to go wildly wrong, this is the week to do it, so he has to deal with it and not me. So... uh, we uh i was trying to remember this morning actually when we decided to make our first trip to big ben why we decided to make our first trip to big ben kelly and i have always enjoyed discovering and exploring wild places and so i think that we just sort of picked a spot on the map and said hey we really want to go here and so we headed down without really any understanding of what we were getting into Uh, but Over the last five or six years that we have traveled there, Thanksgiving week, it has become one of my favorite places, if not my favorite place uh, in the whole world. And the reason why I love it is because it is truly the wilderness. Uh, You are in the middle of nowhere. I think it's just shy of a million acres, which is hard to even fathom a piece of land that big. Uh, But... Uh, you are more likely in some places of the park to run into a bear or mountain lion than you are a person. Uh, And it is just a very wild and rugged and beautiful place. But the other reason why we have sort of recognized that this is such an important time for our family is because it is a moment for us to pause and to prepare for the Advent season by having a time of moving slow and unwinding. Sometimes we need to have moments in our lives where we move slowly and just allow all of the tension, all of the anxiety, all of the frustration, all of the distractions, sometimes even the excitement and the joy and the the. Um, the love, sometimes we even need to unwind from that, but we need to have moments in our lives where we can pause and just simply be present and be reminded of God and who we are uh, and who we are called to be. This morning, I was reading a passage in my uh, little book that I use for uh, the times when I pray in the morning and uh, the author uh, is a guy by the name of Carlo Carretto. And I'm paraphrasing this because I didn't type it out for us and I left it at home so I couldn't read it. So I'm going from the best of my memory. Uh, so hopefully this is what he said. Uh, but he said, I am learning to trust more in the mystery of being human than in my ability to fulfill my duties. Isn't that an interesting thought? I'm trusting more in the mystery of being human than in my ability to fulfill my duties. I think a lot of times, as cliche as it is, we get caught up in being human doings rather than human beings, right? We focus more on what we do and the worth that we are able to achieve or create for ourselves, And we need to have times where we can just simply focus on the mystery of being a person and being a person in relationship with our creator. And so while not everyone is going to uh, a national park far away in the wilderness uh, this next week, my hope is that you will find some time to take a moment and breathe deeply and have some time to unwind. And so as we turn to uh, what we read recently in Luke, I wonder if we would pray this prayer together to set our hearts on to the things of God. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that in hearing we may also trust in your ways through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I want you to think back this morning to the last time you were involved in a group project. Maybe uh, for some of you, it was way back when you were in school. Uh, Maybe it was uh, something work related, but you were involved with a group project. Group projects can be uh, either feast or famine, right? They can be either the best thing or the worst thing. If you are in a group of people uh, who are hardworking, and uh, motivated and are able to stay on task, then group projects can be very enriching and rewarding. If you are in a group of people who aren't motivated and who aren't able to stay on task and don't have any desire to put forth quality work, then group projects can be a big drag. And if if you say, well, I've never been a part of a group that was a drag. Then maybe that's a sign that somebody thought that you were a drag in their group. Huh? No, just joking. Um, for uh, us, though, really, when we step and stop and think about it, life is essentially a set of group projects, right? Uh, obviously, we exist as an individual, but our individuals exist in families. Those families. Uh, live in neighborhoods, which are a group. Those neighborhoods are in communities, which is a group. Those communities make up cities. Those cities uh, make up counties. And counties uh, make up states and states, the United States, and then you know, continents and geographical areas and all of these different associations uh, around the world. And so we really have just sets of group projects. And that's kind of what relationships are, uh, is that they are group projects. Our cultures and patterns and values and the things that uh, motivate us, those things aren't decided by just one person, right? They're decided by groups of people. If you look back throughout history, what's interesting is that what seems to translate into all cultures, into all geographical locations, is that we trust as people mostly in a coercive power over type of power. A power that says, I'm in charge, and if, I have the, the, if I'm in charge, then I'm going to do things my way. That seems to be the way that all cultures deal with power. We think this, this is so so true that we have uh, a statement probably that you've heard. I'm going to see if you can finish it, okay? It's a two-part statement. The first part is just two words. It says, power corrupts. And then absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? That is a statement that that has been made about uh, a person and how they deal with power and how they wield power once they get it. That power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now, you would think that if there is a statement such as this, that we would approach power with some sort of hesitancy or great caution, right? And that's what this statement Uh, is there to do to help us say, well, wait a second, maybe I don't need the power because power corrupts, Um, and then if you have absolute power, it corrupts absolutely, but we don't really do that, right? Um, And most people, I think, have at least a struggle to want to be in control or want to have some sort of power or want to have some sort of ability to be in charge, uh, even though we know the dangers of it. Today on the church calendar is actually the last Sunday of the church year. Did you know that? Uh, it's a, the church calendar goes um, from the beginning of Advent all the way up until the uh, Sunday before um, Advent, which is typically the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And uh, since, since June, we have been in the season called ordinary time right? Now, I wasn't around when they first initiated the church calendar, uh, but I don't know that I would have chosen ordinary time for the name because it doesn't sound very exciting. But the reality is, is that most of our lives are lived in in ordinary time, right? Uh, We kind of live in spaces where most of our days are just sort of simply ordinary. And the exciting or Um, the monumental days are sort of few and far between, and that's the way that it is on the church calendar. So you have all of these, at the beginning of the church year, you have all of these um, exciting and what we would call holy days, like um, Christmas and uh, Easter and Pentecost, days which we celebrate these miraculous interactions of God and humans and the world. Um, But then comes this sort of long time where we have this stretch of no holy days. It's half the year, essentially, or almost half the year, where there's no holy days. So, from the day of Pentecost, where we celebrate the Holy Spirit descending down uh, into the hearts and lives of people, uh, up until the Sunday right before Advent, which is today, uh, we have just a time where we are focused on the life of Jesus, is what we have been doing this year. And so, today is called Christ the King Sunday. It's the day where we celebrate the uh, fact that Jesus is King. And as you go through all of the gospels, which contain the story of Jesus's life, all of them end in the same way, They all end in the same place. But before we get to the time of celebration, we have the moments where Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem with hosannas, proclaimed as king, and then shortly after arrested, tried, and crucified. One of the things that all four of these accounts of Jesus has in common is that in all of them, there were people who attempted to test Jesus' authority, right? They tested him along the way. Uh, there were religious leaders that tested Jesus. There were Roman leaders that tested Jesus. Even his disciples tested his authority. And what we know to be true is that if you make bold statements, there are people that will test you to see if you can cut the mustard or cash the check, right? If you make a bold statement, somebody is going to try you. And Jesus made some bold statements. Now, we hear them in understanding him as God's son and the savior, but these audiences that are found in the scriptures are hearing this with fresh ears. They don't have the, the traditions and the histories that we have that help us to know how true and significant Jesus was. His story was still being written. So as they are hearing Jesus make these claims about him being God and Uh, being the Messiah, being uh, sent from God, uh, they test him to see if he is who he claims to be. So we find Jesus, after arriving in Jerusalem, uh, being arrested, and we read these different accounts of people testing Jesus. First of all, we read about the guards who were keeping him, uh, keeping watch over him. They tested his power, right? The scriptures tell us that they blindfolded him, that they started hitting him uh, and mocking him by saying, prophesy, tell us who was the one who hit you. Uh, The council of elders of the Pharisees, they uh, tested Jesus by calling him into question. Herod, tested Jesus. Uh, this is an interesting verse in uh, chapter 23, verse 8. We didn't read this. It's before what we read, but here is what it says about Herod. It says, Herod saw Jesus. He was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. For what he, From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. As I was reading that, I thought, why would Herod be hoping that Jesus would perform a sign? Well, Herod was given authority over um, the Jewish people by the Roman government. He had power and people who have power want to find other people who have power so that they can expand their own power, right? So if Jesus can perform this great sign, then perhaps Herod can take charge of Jesus and then he can expand his own power. Jesus's response to all of this testing was this. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. This reminds us, if you can remember back, of what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6 when he said blessed are those who curse you pray for those who mistreat you this wasn't a trope that Jesus offered or a congenial thing like when someone is irritating you or someone has challenged you or frustrated you and you want to just let them have it. But instead, you step back and you say, oh, bless their hearts. Have you ever been there? This is not that kind of thing. This is a teaching that Jesus believed fully and is a teaching of the uh, is central, a central teaching in the kingdom of God. For Jesus, wielding your power for the sake of others, including your enemy, is the, at the center of the kingdom. Jesus' power as king wasn't exercised to save himself, but to save those who crucified him. His power wasn't for himself, but to save those who crucified him. The greatest threat to the ways of brokenness, the greatest threat to the dark corruption of the world, isn't a king who is strong enough to drain it out or stomp it out, but the one who will lay down, their life. Now, this truth defies all of our logic, It challenges the notions even of those of us who are devoted to the way of Jesus because of the way that we are conditioned to understand power and authority. But nonetheless, it is the truth of the kingdom of God. It is easy for us to identify with and devote ourselves to the humble king who is greeted with palm branches and hosannas. But it is a long and slow work of the spirit for us to be united with Jesus in his death. So, alongside Jesus, we read in the Gospel of Luke, are these two Sometimes they're called thieves. Sometimes they're called criminals. And they're sort of the final ones who test Jesus's power or ability. All right, one of them kind of joins in with the mocking club and says, you know, you, if you are who you say that you are, you know, what are you doing being crucified on this tree? Save yourself and save us in the, the process. The other one calls in to question the mocker and says, don't you see who this is? And then he says something interesting. He says, Jesus. Now, if you were trying to get my attention, you would probably say, Jonathan, or hey, you, right? And I would answer you. And so calling somebody by their name is certainly uh, not an extraordinary thing, right? It's a pretty common occurrence. But when you stop for a minute and think about it, particularly through the Gospel of Luke, but really in all of the Gospels, how do people normally address Jesus? They call him teacher, master. Master. Sometimes they even call him Lord, but that's not to be confused with what we know when we say Jesus is Lord, because Lord is kind of a hierarchy thing um, in the ancient world. But they never, or very rarely, do they ever call him by his name, Jesus. You see, the name Jesus means the one who saves. And... As I thought about that and looked into it, what became apparent to me is that perhaps one of the reasons why people didn't call him Jesus is because they weren't fully sure if he was truly the one who saves. But there are five total instances in which people called Jesus by his name invoking that he is the one who saves. Two of them were people who were possessed by demons. The other two of them were people who had debilitating diseases and in need of healing. And the fifth one is the thief on the cross. These are the ones who have the wherewithal To see Jesus for who he truly is, not according to how he lines up with their expectations, but as the one who saves. And so today we find ourselves in a place where we're just coming out of an election season And I don't know how you feel about things, but oftentimes when I, whenever I read uh, things, whenever I read news reports on elections, I feel so uh, lonely in a sense that it just seems like that everyone in our our country is just sort of making a mockery of things, that no one really wants to uh, solve problems and make things happen, that everybody just wants um, power and, and, and prestige and authority. Uh, but as we come out of this season, we have interesting conversations about what does one do when they have power, when they have authority. And as followers of Jesus, the ultimate thing that we should seek to do and value is that when we have authority, responsibility, abilities, and influence, that we would do with it what Jesus did. And that's not use it for himself, but to lay down his life, even for those who, mistreated him. That is the only type of savior that we should trust. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, as we enter into uh, the holiday season beginning with a day in which we are contemplative of the things that we are grateful for. My hope, Jesus, is that we would all remember what it is that you have done for us, and given us. That you, Jesus, humbled yourself, even to the death on a cross, so that we might find life and learn to truly live. You are indeed, Jesus, the one who saves. And we pray today for all of us that as we go about this next week, that we would proclaim in our thoughts, in our interactions with others, this truth that you are the one who saves. And at every point possible, may we be faithful to your kingdom and leverage whatever abilities and influence and resources we have to bless our neighbor. We ask these things, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen.